that's not even just the impression, but you get the idea that there, there is some degree of slop in this. And, but I, here's what I would suggest to you that's occurring in your own mind and in all of our minds as small business e-commerce sellers. We have an, a CEO hat on, and then we take that off and we have a CFO hat on, chief financial officer, the controller of the expenses. Hey folks, this is Michael Vesey from Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business, but a small and profitable business than a large one which earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits that's the e-commerce leader.com forward slash profit habits ladies and gentlemen today we're going to be discussing mastering the three goals of paid social media marketing spending money on advertising on social media sites can be incredibly valuable or if you get it wrong sadly it can be a waste of time and money so in this episode we're going to help you dial up the former the value and avoid the time wasting and the money wasting so Jason, interesting topic, something you know a lot more than me about, so I'll be quizzing you with great interest here. Well, first of all, let's start with a list, a short list of the sites we're talking about. What kind of places are we uh, using as examples here? Sure. Well, the the top of mind social media platform that everybody thinks about advertising on is Facebook, of course. That's sort of the, you know, 800 pound gorilla in the space, but there are many others. You know, Instagram, of course, has become huge and is owned by Facebook. So the Facebook ad manager platform allows you to run ads into Instagram as well. And then there's, of course, YouTube and Twitter and Pinterest and LinkedIn. And and then the new stuff, what's the new stuff is there's always something new coming along. Snapchat, of course, and, and TikTok are the latest craze. Th- those are sort of my list. I don't know if you have any others that you think of, but I think that's probably pretty comprehensive. Yeah, they sound like the main ones. I would just add in perhaps uh, Reddit and a couple of the other ones that are less well used mm-hmm. are actually beginning to offer advertising. Some of them are uh, sort of edge cases in terms of whether they're identified as social media. I guess Reddit probably yeah, is. Yeah. So if that resonates with the audience, it might be worth checking out actually. But yeah, those are the main. There's certainly plenty to get your head around. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, let's dig into this then. So what, what are the main things that you think we should be thinking about? Well, I like to maybe... Think about it in three three buckets or three kind of general areas of focus and effort. Maybe we can organize the conversation around those three. So let me just mention to you them to you, and then we can we figure out whether this is the right framework for us. But I think generally there are three large efforts that a marketer is trying to do when it comes to paid social media ads. The first effort is awareness or exposure. So getting your prospects to learn about you for the first time, just a brand new never heard of you before kind of thing and and you get exposure in front of them. Second one is actually building your followers or you know building your brand on the social media platforms. And then the third one of course is just direct sell- sales of your product, making making magic happen financially for your business through selling products straight on the social media sites. And I think those are probably uh, three broad goals that we could use as our 
as a framework. There are certainly other twists and turns along the way, things that people might focus on. But I think for general purposes, those are three good, solid goals uh, to focus on. What are your thoughts on that? Does that make I think sense? that I think as ever, you've you've nailed a really great, you know, big picture framework that makes a lot of sense. So that's it, it immediately helps clarify things. And I think probably for me, my response to that is the biggest danger with any business activity, but particularly social media seems to invite this and paid social media just amplifies the problem, is just doing stuff because everyone else is doing it, but with no mm-hmm. idea why. <laughs> Well, not a very clear idea. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I really, really think that's excellent. So let me just follow up on that with the the first bucket then, awareness, exposure. Let's dig into this. Now, obviously, on the one hand, I'm I'm very kind of conflicted about this and I'm not the only person. On the one hand, awareness is critical because if somebody doesn't even know you exist, then it it, it breaks any possibility of doing anything else. So on the Amazon platform, for example, if somebody can't find your listing or on Google, somebody can't find you or on Facebook or anywhere else. You're invisible, it's game over. But on the other hand, how do we justify spending hard cash now yeah. without knowing what the financial outcome is, how long it will take, how big it will be? This yeah. is always my quandary. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think if you come from the world of Amazon selling, you have a really screwed up mind <laughs> with no disrespect because you have maybe glossed over. I mean, I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody who sells on Amazon, but but I think what can happen if you sell on Amazon is you become unaware of or don't pay attention to the hard work that Amazon has put into getting prospects to a site and then to your product. And you just shortcut all that down in your mind as list an item, make a sale. And so the awareness work when you're, for example, a Shopify site owner, just going out in the wide world of the internet and finding prospects, you really start to realize, man, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of steps involved and you've got to really think through how are you getting yourself in front of these ideal customers. And so I just think that there's probably a a learning curve that's unique to Amazon sellers versus a learning curve that's unique to, you know, let's say just a, a small business who's setting up a Shopify site and trying to sell online. And that would be my first commentary on it. And that doesn't directly answer, but it's just a little side side note on it. Any thoughts on that as it relates to just Amazon sellers coming over into the world of of awareness building? Yeah, I, I think you make an extremely valid point. I mean, it's it's both kind of an insult that is sadly probably correct in in a sense, but um, more importantly, it it makes you reflect on two things really, which is two sides of the same coin. Number one, Amazon does a lot of stuff for us, and before we bad mouth the downsides of being on Amazon, the fact you could get suspended for bad metrics or what have you. The reason for that is because Amazon's worked incredibly hard to not just raise awareness, but the next thing, which I guess we get onto, which is to get extremely loyal followers. Right, so yeah. people go straight to Amazon. They don't have to, but they choose to go straight to Amazon a lot of the time to search for physical product searches. Yeah. And that isn't God-given, and that is something they've earned over decades. Yeah. So the fact that Amazon does a lot of that stuff for us in a way encourages me to say at a certain point of business skills, it makes sense to use Amazon very heavily and to lean on that. So you can focus on other things like product development and getting a, a, a listing and a message to market match that converts. But equally, you're quite right. It does make sense that if you want to create your own business, we have to learn to fully value that awareness piece because it's suddenly, you know, it all on us. And yeah, I, yeah. I don't really have that experience in e-commerce, but certainly with the amazing FBA. And sure. with some of the, the, the people in the mastermind who are developing Shopify, Shopify stores, I realized that 
there is that putting out podcasts, for example, it's, it's quite nebulous what the return on investment is. You can measure it in various different ways, but it does feel hard to justify. And yet over time, you can see a trend and know that over time you make more money when you put more content out. So yeah. I guess, you know, it, is there a way of being more concrete about it than that when you're paying actual money out for adverts? Yeah, there is. I mean, to answer your question specifically, the and the question I think you're asking is, how do you justify spending money on awareness building when there's literally no ROI or no, no return on it that's immediately uh, practical or tangible? And so, so yeah, that's a, I think that's a really valid point. I guess I put my old school marketer hat on. I was in charity world for a long time and spent tons and tons of time and energy on, on marketing and fundraising. And there are classic phrases, you know, the classic ad man's phrase is, you know, half of my ads are effective. I just don't know which half. Now that still relates to direct sales. That's not even just impression, but you get the idea that th- there is some degree of slop in this. And, but I, here's what I would suggest to you that's occurring in your own mind and in all of our minds as small business e-commerce sellers. We have an, a CEO hat on and then we take that off and we have a CFO hat on, chief financial officer, the controller of the expenses. But when we take that hat off and we put on our chief marketer hat, then we've got all these challenging questions related to, you know, is it worth spending money on awareness, that kind of thing. And I would just say the, the best way to do it is say to yourself with your CFO hat on, I'm going to give the marketer of this company X amount of money every month. Maybe it's, you know, as we've talked about before, 8 to 15% of your top line revenue. And that marketer's job is to honestly steward those dollars as wisely as possible for effective outcome. And that outcome better be a multiple, let's say, you know, three times, four times the spend. So for example, if you spend $10,000 on your total, you know, marketing, you better be making $40,000 $40,000 back that you can justify and say that you made back. So the marketer there is sitting there with that challenge and the marketer has to say to themselves, okay, how much of that budget that I get am I going to spend on this top of funnel initial awareness building exercise when I know I cannot justify to anybody uh, a, a return on that money directly and I have to have other metrics that we use, which we can talk about. And I think that's the way I look at it is there's just part of the effort that you have to say is seeding the ground, tilling the soil. You're not going to have any fruit from the harvest from those efforts. And you've got part of your, if you to use the farm metaphor, part of your farm that is just under uh, tilling the soil, planting the seeds, watering the seeds phases. And you can't go in there and try to rip fruit off of the, you know, little twigs. And so that's, that's how you have to look at it is like you're cultivating new, ever increasing crops of, new people who will be paying you one day. Yeah. But they aren't at the moment. And hopefully that's, sorry, long rambling answer, but hopefully that gives a little bit of insight into kind of how I look at it. No, that's really, I I think that's very good. I mean, in a sense, long and rambling is kind of related to the awareness building piece, right? I I guess has been my experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a clean thing. Mm -hmm. As you said, yeah, that famous quote, 50% of my advertising doesn't work, but if only I knew which 50%. The yeah. direct response marketer, person who's obsessed with that would say, well, do a direct response marketing only and then you'll know. But then, of course, that doesn't take mm-hmm. care of the thing that if somebody doesn't know you exist, you can't even give them a direct response, I guess. Now, yeah. just a, one, one or two questions. Well, the first question is, 
okay, so if you're the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer for your company, then you've got these three different buckets and we haven't really dug into the others yet. But do you have a sort of rule of thumb of what percentage of the marketing budget you should spend on awareness versus brand growth versus direct sales? Well, I can tell you that if you can make money directly with an initial offer to a brand new cold prospect. So in essence, if you can make positive ROI, real cash money, directly putting your offer in front of cold prospects and they buy from you, then you spend all your money in that bucket. (laughs) Oh, that's just the, it's common sense because you will be, you'll you'll have what's called a self-liquidating lead. You'll be acquiring new customers at profit. And that is a money printing machine. Most systems do not work that way. And so then what you say to yourself is, okay, how many times does someone have to hear about me or my offer to know about it, to be presented with it before they say yes? And the traditional marketers will tell you that's probably seven to 13 times. And so then you get into the question of, to your point, how much of my budget do I bifurcate out and and put into the impression building, brand building? And so that's why these buckets, I think, are helpful because the first one is just straight awareness, just getting on someone's radar. Second bucket, again, is is growing your followers, your subscriber list, et cetera. And then the third one is making the cash. So every business is going to be different in terms of how they allocate those three things and their, okay. and their appetite for allocating those three things. True. But, yeah. So I've got a, a bunch more thoughts around that, but let's, let's dig on to the second bucket because I think these yeah. are really great divisions. Yeah. So let's, so tell me about brand growth and getting followers then. So what's the main sort of approach there? I struggle with this one. It sounds like to, just in this conversation, you kind of struggle with the spending on uh, impression building. I struggle with spending on brand growth or follower growth. You know, in the early days of Facebook, you could just build a Facebook fan page, they called it, ha- and have a bunch of people follow you and they would all see your posts. And it was such a simple system. And so it made complete and total sense to then, you know, spend money to grow your, your fans, they used to call them. That, and when Facebook changed that system, all of us had to reevaluate the value of a fan or follower. And, and I've always been of the mind that I kind of let it go organically. I kind of don't want to spend money to get followers on these platforms. But I'm really revisiting that in my own mind now. And, and on some of these platforms, we have a lot of followers, not a ton. I mean, not a cuckoo level, but like on YouTube, we have 22,000 subscribers, I think, for our, our Pixiver channel. I think 38,000 Facebook fans for our Facebook page. So, you know, kind of middle of the pack numbers, uh, but we don't spend any money on that. And, and I've, I've just been revisiting this, but the goal here is getting your fans and followers to a number that is at least at first impression respectable, you know, you've, because you've got, let's say a brand new cold prospect coming into your universe. The first thing they're going to do is say, how many fans, followers, subscribers does this person have? How big a deal are they? How big an industry leader are they? How influential are they? Are they professional at delivering the product or service or whatever, or are they not? And the proxy in their mind for that is, how many people follow them? How many people do they have, you know, in their system, their universe? And that social proof is, is a real psychological angle that people are using to try to evaluate us as, as brands. 
I had somebody yesterday sign up for the uh, coaching program. You don't even know this, Michael, but the, their commentary was found you through your podcast, your number one in e-commerce uh, and for podcasts. And, and that angle was valuable in their mind. They, they were like, wow, this is, this is the, the, the people. These are the you know, leaders. So I think that's, the, that's part of the, the second bucket of brand growth. I don't know. Do you struggle with this one at all as well? Is it linked in your mind to the spending without return on investment level? Or what are your thoughts on it? It's strange that in theory it should be. And for a lot of people on in, in this sort of Amazon mindset that are, are moving their way into creating more off Amazon assets, which aren't necessarily, as we talked about before, is not necessarily sales channel. This can this is very much still mm-hmm. a traffic channel strategy. So people that have developed a Facebook group with a very nurtured relationship with very intense followers, but to have to say pro- proven buyers rather than pre-buyers, if you like. So not yeah, prospects, yeah. but buyers. Nevertheless, that's worked quite well, but that's quite tightly tied in with fairly direct response thing, which is they're going to ask them for reviews and a certain percentage will go for it. Now, because I've seen that in action within e-commerce, I I know that I have more faith in the value of a follower. I think as long as they're the right kind of person, I guess part of that probably comes back to an instinct, which is just from years of habit from being a performer, which is broadly speaking, and it relates to the social proof thing that the more people you are performing in front of, the more money you're going to get. Because if you're a performer, yeah. <laughs> you know, broadly speaking, if you can, you know, perform in yeah. front of 400 people instead of 40, which is probably the biggest audience I've performed in as a musician mm-hmm. was only a few hundred people, maybe a thousand or something, but that's yeah. more valuable than an audience of 50. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. So I guess my instinct is towards building audiences, and I've always been about relationships with audiences as a conductor of choirs in the past. And But I so I, I guess I have a sort of in, instinctive inclination towards that. Maybe that's why I built a podcast before I'd built a, fun, uh, a monetization stream for it. Because yeah. I had an instinct that it would have a value. So for me, yeah. having a real connected audience, I my instincts, and I think it's normally justified, are this is really valuable, this is exciting, as opposed to chucking stuff out into the void and not knowing whether anyone's hearing it or not. Mm-hmm. That That's mm-hmm. much more alarming, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, to your other point, if you've been used to doing stuff organically, I know you've been, re- you guys have been pretty solidly good and in some cases amazing at organic social media appearance, such as in Pinterest, I know you've done incredibly well if, if one counts that as social media for the purposes sure. of today. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, over time, famously, the algorithms are making it harder and harder to rank organically. So if one believes in the value of those platforms, I guess you've got to be willing to spend a little bit more money now. And so it makes sense to me that one should be getting to that point. And I think, yeah, yeah. I guess it comes down to the economics thing again, though, doesn't it? As soon as you yeah, start spending significant money, What's your rule of thumb for evaluating the value of building an audience if you have one and, and how much to spend on it? Well, I, yeah, I, it's a hard one. And as I mentioned in my mind to justify, but um, I, I, a few tactics that we use for this that are sort of 
I guess we've developed these tactics because we've had this concern over the justification of the expense. And But the tactics we love, the, the biggest tactic, the biggest strategy we like to use is to run social contests. And so rather than, for example, spending $100 on a Facebook ad to get new followers, we will give away a $100 prize, run a contest on our site, and then the entry methods are a lot of social actions. Subscribe to our newsletter list, repin something onto Pinterest, or you know all the social actions that we can kind of engineer. And so we we've kind of used that as an alternate method for growing our, you know, our our followers and subscribers. It's still technically paying in a way to make it happen, but it's not paying the advertising you know platform directly. And so th- that's one thing that we've kind of used as our tool over time. Uh, but I will tell you, I I guess it's just the reality in the last six months or so is. I'm seeing the value. A, a few things have happened inside our business where I've seen the value of just having the large following. You see other, you know, when you see other people and like, wow, they started after us. They are a lot smaller than us, and yet they're they're winning these big, you know, they're they're winning. And how are they doing it? Well, they're growing a large following on whatever it is, you know, Instagram or YouTube or whatever, and. And we haven't been focused on that. We've been focused on making money, you know, like, like just the, you know, the direct selling. And so I think we're going back into this second bucket area and saying to ourselves, okay, maybe we do need to blow up our, you know, YouTube subscribers to a hundred thousand, for example, or our Facebook fan page to a hundred thousand, those kinds of ideas. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but kind of that's what my my thinking on this is, yeah. That is really interesting. I mean, I, I can't remember what the question was, but it's all in the right sort of... <laughs> so, no, it's, it's the right kind of thinking that we've got to go through to, you know, as, as a business owner. I mean, social contests, I really love the fact that it's, I know it's what you call a super strategy, isn't it? In your Nine Mountains of Traffic um, book, which I, I read recently, really great to have a, a clear kind of, and we are indeed exploring one of the Nine Mountains now with paid social media, but I like the fact that there's something that goes across all of them. Because right. I guess it gives you a consistency, more control. It, it's super smart. And I think that actually what I like about it as well is the relationship that you're starting with somebody. If they, even they, have, they end up, it, mm-hmm. it could, of course, these things can be combined. Well, I suppose you can, this is another question, right? Other, can we combine these buckets? I mean, if you can pop something out there that's maybe cold traffic and also possibly to an existing email list. But in either case, you're starting with goodwill because you're offering yeah. something for nothing you're offering a prize and all you want them to do is follow you on social media or what have you then yeah. i think that that creates goodwill and that's a good relationship to start with um, as opposed to interrupting their day and just kind of asking them to give you something i.e money for a product you know it's down it's a there's a downside to it though as well because there's always pros and cons and trade-offs with every strategy but the mm. downside with running contests to acquire new followers or you know new prospects or qual- I guess you could call it a qualified prospect is they're freebie seekers by the nature of the event I mean they're looking for a free prize and so are they going to make a good paying customer that's the tension and so you know you that's what you have to just work through a few other thoughts on the kind of growing your your brand you mentioned the phrase interruption marketing that's always the tension with you know social media is is it interruption marketing or are the prospects looking for you or for your solution 
Now, sometimes they are, you know, sometimes a prospect is on Facebook and they're looking for a Facebook group, for example, some group that they want to be a part of. And so that's not interruption marketing. You know, if you can put your group in front of them, then, the, you know, you're, you're providing them with a solution. But, but a lot of times it's interruption marketing. And by that, the phrase, if you're not familiar with it, is they're doing something like saying hello to their grandmother or, you know, watching a video about uh, how to make bread. And you interrupt them with, hey, buy my, you know, widget or, you know, subscribe to my, you know, page. And, and that's uh, just breaking their train of thought. And that's uh, tough marketing to do to be good at it, but there are strategies for that. But anyway, yeah. so that's, uh, that's the second bucket here. We better move on to the third bucket, should we? <laughs> yeah. We had in a second, I just one response yeah. on that is, is that um, my experience of the interruption marketing is that if you really get your message to market match really honed in, then you're finding people who are pretty much ready to hear the kind of message you've got. It's a bit of an easy open, you're pushing in an open door. So for example, yeah. to anyone listening who wants to make some money, if you advertise holidays to my wife on Facebook, she will look at every single advert and quite possibly buy them <laughs> because she's an absolutely huge fan of certain things, including like trips <laughs> to Italy, which we were both massive yes. Italophiles, Facebook masks yeah. and whatever. But, but Mara's a big enough fan. So if you've got somebody who's a super fan of a That's particular right. type of product yeah. and you do advertising in a way that really hits their buttons and offer them a great deal, then, you know, that's obviously retargeting, which brings us yeah. to a slightly different thing. But nevertheless, I mean, even if you kind of cold targeted her based on profiling, you could probably get it quite, quite accurate. So yeah, 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 it comes down to really being refined in your targeting, I guess. You know? Your wife is saying, please interrupt me with something that's interesting in Pretty Italy. Much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in which case it isn't so much yeah. interruption marketing, it's a paid no. version of what she should be mm-hmm. offered organically anyway. So you're enhancing what yeah. the algorithm wants to offer, which makes it a better experience for the consumer and also probably yeah. keeps the platform happy. So, you know, it's easy to say and hard to do, but as an aim, I think it's really important because a lot of people very clearly don't think that way because they slam you with adverts and it's horrendous. And YouTube at the moment for me is becoming that environment when I'm getting slammed with adverts. I mean, yeah. digital marketing, sadly, I get slammed with adverts for everyone from people I won't name with their Lamborghinis and like, you know, just it's horrendous. So if that is not a quality experience, so that's what yeah. we don't want to do, I would suggest. Right. Yeah. Anyway, you're right. We better get to the direct selling. That's where the money comes. Now, funnily enough, we've come to it last because in terms of the prospect's journey to buying from you, it's the last piece. But I guess for a lot of us, it's the first place we go, right? What, what's your approach to direct selling? Yeah, I think the things that are top of mind for me are you want to realize this is the hardest uh, mountain to climb in this little little effort here. And, you know, there will be many, many times where you spend money and it does not return a break-even outcome. That's just a fact. And so I would say testing is huge, testing small, and then scaling what you find that works. In our own businesses, we try to focus on simply putting our ads to purchase in front of people who have already identified themselves as qualified prospects. So people who are our followers. So we'll do a lot of things where we'll just, you know, we'll boost or promote or spend ad money. And it's only going to our subscribers or our, you know, followers, that kind of thing. We, you know, we, we have a few different angles as well. We think retargeting fits in that bucket as well. You know, so that's sort of the, the same idea. Doing a retargeting campaign on Facebook, for example, much more effective generally than marketing to cold prospects. These are the ideas that we th- start to think about. Now, as I've already said, if you can make a positive return on investment in this bucket, then you want to scale it to the highest degree possible. It will fail at some 
terminal point, but you'll, you'll want to find out how much you can do before you just reach a sort of a plateau or a break even. And the best marketers in the world have product to market match, as you mentioned, that works effectively and they can, you know, they can put their product in front of cold prospects or warm prospects with an effective degree of return on investment that makes it, makes it work for them. But if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be discouraged. You should just realize you're learning like everyone else and you've got to just keep grinding it out. I, I would just say that there's two extremes of mistake here. One extreme of mistake is coming, for example, like off Amazon and just spending months money on, on social ads straight to promoting your product and and failing and stopping and realizing, oh, that didn't work. So I'm done with that. Next shiny object, how you know, go, moving on. The other mistake is people just don't do this. P- people don't try to sell. They avoid this. And that's a mistake as well. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think you just put your finger on what one of the instinctive as a sort of at some point former I must admit, former a double glazing salesman, which is an infamous thing to say, but I did it for five months in my late 20s, partly because I'd read, which I'd taught Paul Dad, and he said, one of the skills you absolutely must nail is selling. So I did, and it, and it taught me a lot. But one of the things I noticed is that social media can be the refuge for those who are too afraid to ask for the sale. And mm-hmm. so I think you make an extremely important point that you should at some point have the courage to do it whilst recognizing that it is indeed hard, which is why people are afraid of it. So mm-hmm. I would say there are three responses on, on that for me. The first one is, there's a great danger of over-focusing on the bucket of the opposite extreme. Having said that, the opposite extreme for a lot of Amazon sellers, they are quite sort of strong characters and, and you know, if they're going to make a success in what is quite an aggressive environment, as we've discussed. Yeah. Um, they tend to over-focus on direct sales. And the danger with that is over time, intrinsically, by the nature of the self-correcting market, if you get really good at creating an offer and selling directly through one strike through Facebook ads, and making a profitable return immediately on investment, everybody else is going to see that, copy yeah. you, and then by definition, yeah. that will not work further. So I think um, that brings us to the other skill that we've talked about, the three buckets. What we haven't talked about, what you've touched on, is the skill of moving a prospect from one bucket to the other. So you talked about retargeting. So I guess we're talking about they have awareness, they maybe become a follower in the broadest sense of visit your blog and maybe subscribe to the podcast. And then by retargeting them, you're then trying to move them over into the actual buyer's right. bucket, right? So what are yeah. your thoughts and, and practices around moving people from one prospect, uh, from one bucket to the next? Yeah, I, you know, I always, I knew you were going to ask me about this. I was just flipping through my little, little notebook I have here from all my little books I've kind of swiped ideas from. And, and I've mentioned this in a prior podcast, but it's the six stages of the loyalty ladder. Tom Hudson, I think, was the author. It's a sales book. But the six stages in the loyalty ladder, they talk about the first one is a suspect. You know, you think they're a good idea, but they don't even know you. The second step in the loyalty ladder is a qualified prospect. And those are the people, you know, those two steps, suspect and and qualified prospect. Those are the two steps that we've just talked about in terms of bucket number one here, which is just awareness. And then bucket number two, which is subscriber or follower. I would say that, you know, you're clearest qualified prospects have subscribed to your you know social media account in some way they're connected to you they're on your email list or they're in your you know they're a fan or follower etc and then the third stage in the, his loyalty ladder is a customer so they purchased from you the fourth stage is a client meaning they're an ongoing customer they purchase from you repeatedly 
The fifth stage is an advocate, meaning they're really willing to do word of mouth marketing for you. And then the sixth stage is a confidant where they're actually an insider helper, you know, super fan, a moderator in your Facebook group, you know, people like that who are really, really invested in your system. And that, I think that's the journey that you're on with finding people on social media is how do you go from that suspect on the first part to the, you know, the confidant, he calls it. And I like that framework so much. And I think that's the, that's the hard work of it. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant framework. And by the way, that brings me back to the justification and why I have this instinctive feeling that followers are valuable. So grow them, even if you don't know how to monetize them yet. It's because yeah. if, if you think about them being worth, and this is very much Amazon pushes you into thinking of one customer equals one sale, and then you start from scratch again, sadly. Now, it doesn't, even on Amazon, it really does not have to be that way. But if you could think of it as a repeat customer, that's one thing. But I know from very, there are very few examples, but I know it's possible from observing my best clients' actions that if you create and nurture a group of advocates, the value of those people yeah. is exponentially bigger than, than a, a simple sale. And thus, the value of a really well-chosen, well-nurtured relationship, a set of relationships with the right people is great. And I guess in the end, that comes down to that mentality that I've heard, your business's job is not to sell products to customers. Your business's job is to acquire customers. And in order to do that, you have to sell them products. Have you come across that quote? I can't remember who said it now. No, that's genius though. I love that. But it's great because in the end, I think it is true because if you can get somebody to be your customer forever, then a lifetime customer value is massive. And you can basically afford to spend a large amount of money compared to your competitors to buy that customer's loyalty, you know? So, I mean, you can get too abstract, but I mean, coming back to the second bucket, the follower bucket, if you do that well, I think there's great value in that. And I think people maybe underestimate or have the resistance, as you mentioned. So, you know, that's interesting. Well, let me just add one little side note to that. Since you, you mentioned the value of growing your followership, there's another type of value in growing your followership that we have mentioned beyond just direct selling to a customer. And that's influence in your industry. So if you grow a big followership, you will have networking opportunities that begin to occur. The, the birds of a feather flock together in industries. And if you go from a nothing burger, no, no, unknown to a largest social media following person in your industry, all of the other players will treat you as a peer and the smart ones will treat you as a collaborator. Yeah. And that unlocks a ton of business value and opportunity for you. So just, that's just a little side note on the value of growing your, your subscribers or followership. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not a clean e-commerce example, but I know that the amazing FBA podcast has led, for example, that I'm it's been postponed twice now, but the I went and did a talk for, I'm going to get this wrong now, I think it's the White Label Expo, that was it in London in November, and then I was asked to head, be one of the, the keynote speakers in Germany in May, I think it was, which was postponed to October, which is now postponed to sometime next year. But that came pretty purely from having followers and having a podcast and having a profile. They they don't know my business and in, in any intimate way. It's, it's right. you know, it's actually based on social proof or not even proof in this strict sense. It's not social proof, it's social influence. It's a psychological mechanism, but it's enough for them to book me. And, and, you know, they booked me in November and they booked me for keynote speaking. So obviously there, they took a punt on me and they found it was useful and and valuable. But nevertheless, that that is exactly been my experience. And I think, again, too many people 
don't take advantage of that if they are expert producers of a product after you know 30 in some cases you know decade or even five or six years of producing a product range yeah they know a heck of a lot about that production process and they don't share that and position themselves as the experts in the production and thus creating safe or sexy or whatever it is type products whatever their audience values and i think that's totally under underused by people i think really if you're willing to stand behind your business and as and talk a little bit about it, the detail of it and position yourself as an expert in a particular product there's massive financial value in that for sure absolutely well we've got a lot to cover here i want to make sure that we talk about metrics and how to actually evaluate you know this different phases of these three buckets i also want to hear your horror stories and you know kind of things to avoid things that you've learned school of hard knocks lessons that kind of thing maybe yeah. let's should we do two episodes here should should we break this into two-parter? Absolutely. I think what we've got today is a neat sort of list of basic principles. And I think those that's that's kind of what this specializes in in this podcast. It feels to me that you're, you've got a real knack of, of creating very good ways of thinking about dividing the world up in, in a simplifying way. So yes, let's keep that. Let's wrap that up in the purest form. And then let's plunge into the details, which a lot of podcasts talk about and the, the details of digital marketing. We can put that in context next episode. So I guess that brings me to say, well, look, can we summarize the main lessons for today? What are your main lessons for, for anyone for paid social media? Yep. Have a budget in your business that's roughly 8 to 15% of your top line and allocate part of that to paid social media work. And then inside that, have three big goals. Exposure to brand new prospects, then building your subscribership, and then finally making sales through social media ads. And work on that. And it's a tradecraft set of activities that you can build over time. And I guess that's my summation of it. Yeah. What are your final thoughts? Well, I'm very pleased to say that I feel quite inspired to go back into to re-exploring this area. There's something about social media that I always get suspicious of. And I think I identified it earlier. It's because an avoidance of asking for a sale. And I think done well, this can actually be you know, a, a very justifiable and indeed profitable thing to do. The other thing is part of me shies away again, coming to the point we raised earlier from social media, because it can be a really kind of toxic environment for multiple reasons. But one of which is that it's yeah. an overly salesy environment, the opposite extreme people who are, have got the courage to ask for the sale. And actually, if you do it really well in a slick way, it can be an enjoyable experience for the customer. And, mm -hmm. and that's also something I want to be part of putting out there. So. This has really encouraged me, so that thank you very much for your, your inspiration. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Hey folks, this is Michael Vizi from Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key 
e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show.